Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer, Laura Ketchledge. And Laura's near-death experience is pretty remarkable where she was shown parallel lives that are happening at the same time as this one in her NDE. Get ready to have your mind blown. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Laura Ketchledge. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your remarkable journey with my audience. Hopefully it's going to be a entertaining and teaching uh, story that we could help everybody with. So my very first question before we get into your NDE was what was your life like prior to having a near-death experience? Well, I was a teenager at the time. Um, I was 19 years old. I had my first apartment. I worked at a rock and roll nightclub at night. I tried to model during the day. I was also flunking out of junior college. And let's see, I was juggling two boyfriends. <laughs> I was your typical uh, teenager having a real taste for freedom and just beginning to live. And did you have any spiritual, like were you raised spiritually or religiously at all? Well, my grandfather was a Presbyterian minister, and we were very involved in the church. Uh, I sang in the choir all my youth. I went to church camp, you know, things like that. Um, But I have to say, I had my doubts about organized religion. Um, I didn't believe the Bible uh, word for word. I had Judeo-Christian values that were very ingrained, but I wasn't buying um, what they were selling basically. <laughs> so did that, did you, were you in search of anything at the time of your near-death experience? Meaning like, were you going deeper into I spirituality? Was, you were juggling Alex, two boyfriends and Alex, hanging out at rock and roll clubs? Having a good time. <laughs> I was involved in social life, having a good time. I can say this now because I'm a 63, but I was a pretty girl having a taste for freedom and fun. And, um, just living life in uh, the Washington DC area, just enjoying my life. So um, did you feel lost at all or you were just having a good time? I wasn't lost at all. Uh, My father was very, very strict and he raised both his daughters like boys so that we could be independent, um, you know, and things like that, think for ourselves, uh, going out and getting a job and holding an apartment and paying bills and stuff was a very easy transition. So I wasn't a lost teenager whatsoever. Okay, good. I ask these questions because a lot of people, when they have near-death experiences, are either off the path or going through really difficult times. It seems like you were just being a a very happy 19-year-old, having a good old time. I remember being 19. I remember (laughs) those years. They were wonderful. You you know what's scary is you think you know it all, and you think you're just so cool. You think you're the last Coca-Cola in the desert, as they say. Oh, just, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you think you know everything. And you're invulnerable. Oh, Obviously, you're invulnerable. And nothing, you'll never die. That's the farthest no. thing from your from your, from your your mind. Um, so what happened on the day of your near-death experience? Well, I also want to preface this. I was uh, a teenager that was responsible, even though I was a good time Charlie. I never got into alcohol, drug use. Or, or smoking anything, legal or illegal. So I was kind of more grounded and more responsible uh, than most teens. And uh, the accident was such a fluke. It was mm-hmm. such a fluke. 
So what happened? Uh, my girlfriend, Terry, called me up. I was in my apartment in Falls Church, Virginia, and she said, let's go horseback riding. I said, well, let's just go where I used to ride, um, you know, when I was in high school. Let's go out to Centerville. And she kind of bailed on me. And it was such a pretty day. I decided to go over to my mom's house, pick up my helmet and boots. And then I cruised on out to Centerville, Virginia um, and rented a horse. Now, there were two horses tied up. And I could have picked either one, but I like the real pretty one. And the gal said, wouldn't you like to take the white one? I said, I don't need a Western saddle. Give me an English saddle. I know what I'm doing. Big mistake. Big mistake. Because the horse was a little bit above my abilities, but it was a nice horse. And um, I want to tell everybody the horse was fine. I'm the one that got hurt. Because I get yes. a lot of email. What happened to the horse, Laura? Yes, yes. Every, everyone's much more concerned about the horse oh, than yeah, about you. Oh, yeah, not me. <laughs> Uh, so I got on the horse and there weren't any other riders around. So I decided to go out to a field and canter and I, I walked around and I had, was having a great time. And then I met up with these two, uh, gentlemen. I didn't know them. They were, you know, maybe in their twenties or thirties or so. And we decided to ride together. And I was kind of like the ending the afternoon. I just wanted to get, you know, home. I had to go to work in a few hours. So what happened is we had the bright idea to race the horses back to the barn. Not a good, not a good idea. And of course mm -hmm. I had to have, I had to win. I had to win. And I hadn't been riding in a while. I was a little bit out of shape. So uh, the horse was going pretty much at a canter and then went into a, a hand gallop, which is like, like a racehorse. And it was, I was losing my balance a little bit. I was a little concerned, but I was holding on. And uh, the horse stumbled and I went flying. I mean, I went aerial like a rocket off to the, to the right of the horse. And I remember saying something profane because I knew this was, I was going to get clobbered. I went, didn't think I would get killed or anything. I just knew this was, this isn't, this isn't working out. This was like that feeling of like, oops, you know, it's going to happen. So the funny thing is, Alex, is I went off like a bottle rocket off that horse and I never hit the ground. I never felt the impact because my body literally went one way and my soul went another. I went straight into this black pit. It was a beautiful sunny day and I went into this big dark pit and it's, it was just as abrupt. Let's pretend you're sleeping in your bed. You know, uh, it's the middle of the night and all of a sudden you're th cast out into the Pacific Ocean. That's how abrupt it felt. So I went into this big, dark, black tunnel at a high rate of speed. I knew I was off the horse. I knew where I was. I wasn't confused. And I knew I was dead. So there was a separation between body and soul. I knew it could happen because I had an out-of-body experience as, a, a, as a, a kid and left my body before a terrible accident and went right back in, of course, with horses. Uh, so I'm in this black tunnel and I got the feeling of total isolation. And I thought, this is must, this is must, uh, it must feel like this to astronauts in outer space. You're alone. Um, so a roller coaster of emotions came out. Shock. A profound sadness because my life had just begun to live. Um, it was every emotion uh, you could think of coming like, like a roller coaster up and down as I was going through this tunnel. Now the tunnel itself was, there wasn't any um, light at the end for a while. And it was like soft velvet tunnel. I felt like I was still me, like I had arms and legs. I felt like I was still me. And I knew that the tunnel was airy and light yet dense at the same time. I don't know how I drew that opinion. I just did. Mm -hmm. But it was nothing structurally like anything here in physical reality that was real. So I'm going through this tunnel with every emotion. And then this profound feeling like 
you did it to yourself. Hmm. Anger at myself. You did it to yourself. And now you'll never get to live, you know, coming so close to having this great life and then having it snatched. And it was all my stupid fault for riding a horse above my abilities and racing him and a lot of anger at myself. And then there was a light. And then there was my grandfather. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That was wonderful. I forgot about, (laughs) I know this sounds weird. I forgot about being dead. I was just so glad to see him. Mm-hmm. And he was older, you know, he, he, he died at 72 and he maybe looked 60. He didn't look sick anymore. He wasn't ravaged with cancer. And, you know, to be reunited with him was worth the fall. It was worth the accident. Mm. Yeah. So what happened next? Well, this part I didn't like. You know, they say you have a classic life review, like it's like going through a Rolodex of your life. It is, but it isn't. It's not a judgment. You judge yourself. But I was given the opportunity to show um, what my actions were. And I was a 19-year-old kid. I wasn't a serial killer. I hadn't done anything terrible. And, you know, I hadn't, you know, screwed up anybody's life yet. (laughs) Um, So, but I saw things that were very disturbing to me, or I took them to heart. Because I was uh, 19, there wasn't a lot of self-forgiveness. If I did this at 60 or 70, I would have gone, aha, that's how I thought at that time. So it was more personal, more upsetting. So basically, I was in this place. I don't know how I got there. I was just there. I was ushered there. And I knew my grandfather was somewhere but not next to me like in the the background and I was being ushered by an outside individual I am guessing now in my 63 year old brain my higher self but at that time I had no concept of it just being ushered and it wasn't a punishment so basically this is how it goes you see the result of your actions like from scene to scene like something stupid you do as a little kid and you hurt your little friend's feelings, but you feel what they are feeling. You see it from their point of view. I was like harsh to this little girl, like in first grade. And I felt so guilty about it because I really hurt her feelings. And it was so stupid of me and trivial, but I was mad at myself. Um, I saw some things like that, some missed opportunities to be nice. And this wasn't a like, oh, you have to be good. You have to be, you know, and this is what happens when you're bad. It wasn't like this. It was more of a an understanding of how things work. Um, I saw some good things, like when I rescued a kitten, saved its life and got out in traffic as a teenager and, and rescued this cat when I was 18, this little poor little white kitten that was going to get run over and smushed and ran through traffic and got it. You know, that was a bigger thing over there than I realized. Or how there was a, a kid that was a little girl that was um, being some some of the girls in high school quite nasty to her. And I went and I tried to talk to her and that was big. And, and um, when I found the lost child was big because it was big to those individuals. Not so much a good deed, but it meant a lot. And some, you know, dumb, stupid things I did. I So I, fe- I felt humbled by my quote life review. Um, and I really got the feeling, I was left with a feeling later when I kind of had to digest it all. It's like the physician, do no harm. You don't want to screw up somebody else's destiny. Even though you can, you shouldn't. You know, like the husband that berates his wife and mm-hmm. she doesn't go for the career she could have been or she could have been more of a person because he has berated her and harangued her for so long. That is a big no-no. Um, there's a horrible uh, responsibility you have when you've done something like that and you're going to feel um, the results of your actions through others. So I'm not like, you know, saying that this is like a, uh, a judgment day. It really isn't. 
and I don't want to put a religious uh, context or spin on this because I did not have a religious epiphany with all this, mm -hmm. but I just got the feeling um, it was there to show me and um, doing no harm to an individual is very important. Uh, and then I want to say something that I think that is really, really big. You know, let's say you're a company and you've sold a product and you know some kids are going to get killed. Okay, but you're making a lot of money. When it comes your time, you're going to feel every individual that you've hurt with your negligence and greed. So it's not like a punishment, but you're going to see what you've done. So like the best advice is like, don't screw up anybody else's life if you can help it. Um, and when you've done something kind or good for a, another person, or an animal, it, it's important. So it's I don't kind want to get of, Right, no, it, it's kind of like, uh, there is no, there is no, um, what's the word? Feeling or not judgment, but there is no judgment, but there is no attached vibration to it in the sense that if you put your hand in fire, you're going to get burned. It's a matter mm -hmm. of fact. It's just yeah. what it is. It's not good. It's not bad. The fire has neither a positive nor a negative uh, charge to it. It right. is what it is. So when you do something that hurts somebody else, yeah. it is what it is. And they're just showing you the repercussions of what you have done and vice versa, good or bad, negative or positively charged. Is that pretty yeah, much so the way it goes? You're explaining it a lot better than I am. I had a very hard time with it because I was a kid. And when you're 19, you think oh. like a kid. So I thought, oh, you know, I was a little more horrified at my actions than anybody else could have been. And some missed opportunities to be better, you know. Mm, sure. So, you know, I went through that. Um, my grandfather was, behind, you know, uh, guiding me and everything. But it was pretty, pretty unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So then after, so after you've gone through this life review, who else is in the room? Is just, just, you feel the grand, your, your grandfather in the back, but do you see any other light beings or do you feel other president? Presence, oh presence? yeah, there's a present, somebody literally uh, like holding my shoulders and guiding me and pushing me and mm -hmm. mentoring me. Mm -hmm. And I got the feeling that there was whispering, talking, but I just couldn't hear it i couldn't i i couldn't decipher it mm -hmm. it wasn't it, it, it had to be in english but i i couldn't other other souls that were communicating that i was missing them i couldn't plug into it or or, or was able to hear got it. it got it and you know you're looking for a floor mm -hmm. there isn't one so you know that that's really pretty upsetting. <laughs> it wasn't. It, it, this wasn't wasn't going well. I mean, it was great to see my grandfather and stuff, and then something beautiful happened. I literally zoomed through layers of non physical reality from dense to less dense, and I arrived at source. Now, source going through that flying feeling or that traveling feeling is a rush is just freaking fantastic and then arriving like i burst into this and i can only say that my mind perceived it as not what it actually was my mind perceived it as like a burst of clouds there's sun there's there's like almost an ocean of clouds um it's mine it's source, there's music that floats in random waves through, it's bliss, and you're just wrapped in this sea of love. Now, I had no sensation of arms and legs. I believe, just guessing, hypothesis now, that I was a point of consciousness at that particular time, mm -hmm. floating in a sea of love, I mean, just floating with other points of consciousness. I'm thinking, I'm not sure, but these other points of consciousness were versions or 
how do I say it? Because they really, it's hard to translate. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Versions of me, past mm. life's me, future life's me. Mm. I don't think I was in with a, uh, uh, like in, he- in heaven or touching God. I think this is as far as most people can go though. So um, I'm guessing that it, that sea of love is almost self-love. If that's a great, if that, that's a good word for it. Mm. Um but it was beautiful. It was bliss. I was floating and I didn't want for anything. I didn't have regrets. I was free of troubles. Uh, there were no troubles. I mean, if I could float in that every once in a while now, I mean, it would be so refreshing. Uh, and as good as it was, it was over fairly quickly. Okay. Didn't get answers. There was a bright light there, but um, no visible sun. So the next place I went to, I'm standing, or I had my body. It was sort of drawn backwards. I had my body. I'm looking to the right. And there's a lot of black around me. And I'm looking to the right. And I see this blue, it uh, looked like the earth. It looked like the earth. And I thought, isn't that beautiful? Oh my God, I hate heights. And I'm thinking, I hate heights. Okay, okay, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Okay, <laughs> I'm still me. I hate heights. And I'm like yelling in my mind, I hate heights. Uh, this I don't like, you know, this at all. Was it really the earth? It was my perception of it. So and in front of me was this cathedral with like a main hall and it did seem to have a floor and then there was an aisle here, aisle there. So again, somebody's behind me, guiding me into this. And then I'm flooded with information, um, knowledge. And it's it's overwhelming that these were my past lives and on one side is all the lives I've lived as a male. On the other side is all the lives I've lived as a female. And I'm like, I could never, I'm a girly girl. I could never have been a male. I couldn't even conceptualize such a thing. But mm-hmm. I'm going with it. And I'm looking down this row. And it's like they're lined up white, um, colorless individuals. And I, of course, I got a touch. And I touched and then I could actually see form of a man, looked like he was in his 40s or 50s, I don't know, white Caucasian, just kind of like, oh, like that at me. And I just took my hand back. Oh, God, you know, these are all the male and they had to be at least 50. And then I went over and then I touched uh, an individual on the female side and I've always I've said this on other shows she reminded me of a really mean lunch lady I had at grammar school okay <laughs> but uh she uh, she wasn't any beauty mm-hmm. and I'm not liking this I don't like the idea of reincarnation I don't like the law idea of past lives I didn't like it kind of shoved down my throat but I was curious I wasn't afraid nobody was you know trying to scare me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, I've done this before. I don't want to come back and be 13 again. I don't want to, you know, this is just not, I was kind of horrified. I mm-hmm. mean, if I had to had over a hundred past lives, I wouldn't get in it right. <laughs> was okay. I just failing life 101 or what? And then um, I thought, and it was sort of put in my head, this is the life that you become aware of such things. So I don't know why this life, you know, I became aware because, you know, I'm not good in school. I was dyslexic. I'm, you know, um, a little bit of a wild child. Why it was in this lifetime, this incarnation that I would become aware, maybe because I had too many accidents with horses. I don't know. So, um, 
I have to say I was still me, but I was getting more knowledge and more understanding. So the general concept is when a soul comes into physical reality to experience learn and learn life's lessons, it's not a sunk, you know, let's hold hands, sing kumbaya moment. You fracture into different personalities at different times in uh, history to live your life, to learn lessons. And it all happens at once. Mm. So again, another thing for a teenager that really couldn't digest it. I was more confused than got answers. Oh, way more confused. Um, and then everything changed and suddenly I'm back going back again and I'm standing on a beach. And this was a beautiful beach with these cliffs that were big rocks and you could see windows were carved out of it. And that, you know, some people inhabited this beach or this cliff thing, gorgeous, gorgeous sand. I mean, the water was just so true blue. And then I was thinking a little bit about religion. I thought, wow, what happened to the tree of life? You know, why haven't seen anything like that? And as soon as I thought it, there was a, this beautiful pine tree right in the shoreline that came straight up where pine trees could never grow. And it was white and it had like a light moss color to it. So I went over and looked at the texture of the bark and everything, and it was a beautiful pine tree. And then I realized later on, it was a thought responsive reality. But it took me a long time to figure that one out. But I just mm -hmm. thought, oh, because I'm 19. And um, I didn't get a chance to, to look a lot or investigate like I'd like to. So Zoom, I'm back, you know, with my grandfather. And we're standing in this layer closer to physical reality because it felt denser, felt heavier standing there and all of these things I sort of had learned like in each thing I was like gaining this knowledge just started to leave or, or fade or dissolve or get pulled out I don't know how to explain it but it all the the epiphanies and, and the understandings were taken away and there's only a skeleton of those memories left now when I was coming back but I realized I had to come back and I you know, wanted to grab my grandfather's hand. Now he had very large hands. He had the bluest eyes like Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. You could still see his beautiful blue eyes and his hand was white. And I wanted to grab his hand. And even my adult hand felt small in comparison to his hand. And I really didn't want to come back because the physical reality or life on earth or whatever you want to call it wasn't... I wasn't as connected to it as I had been before, you know, just a few moments ago. So it was just a lot of grief and anguish to leave him. If I hadn't seen him, if it had been someone else that grieved me like a great aunt or somebody I wasn't close to, I don't think I would have tried to stay so hard. Mm -hmm. um, I did tell him some of my problems that were kind of personal that I, you know, not going to talk about, sure. but he, ex he explained a few things to me. It was very sad, mm. very sad um, about other family members. Very sad. Sure. And uh, then I started to travel backwards and I, I couldn't hold on to him. Mm. And then what? And then you were slammed back into your body. Oh, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> Oh, it's like being dropped from a building. Because I went from feeling wonderful, wonderful, painless, into pain. I was hurt. Yeah. Bro broken my nose. I broke my finger. There wasn't a body part that wasn't strained, bruised, and, and so sore. I w went to this painful body and you know, um, I knew a lot of time had passed because there was a car down in the field to take me to the hospital. There were other people. Um, somebody had gotten my car keys and gone, gotten my purse out of my Chevy Vega. 
So I guess to take it me to the hospital, you know, with my person ID and stuff or to ID me if I died or whatever. And there was all these people that were concerned. And um, I'm looking around and they're trying to pull me up to, you know, because they want to get me and I'm not loving it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So let me, so let me ask you this. Um, God, there's so many things I want to unpack here. When the, this concept of multiple lives happening at once, you're not the first to say that on the show. It's hard to grasp that idea in this space and time reality that we have where yeah. there, there is no space or time. It's different. And if we're, if let's say, you know, right now you mm-hmm. and I are in the middle ages in Rome, in Egypt and Atlantis, and we're mm-hmm. also in the future in on the moon and Mars, <laughs> wherever we'll be uh, in our timeline. Does that mean that we have different perspectives happening all at once? This just is just the one that we're experiencing through this avatar at this moment. Like Pretty this much. is the need. This is the needle where the needle is hitting the record at this point. But there's multiple needles on yeah. multiple records at the same time. Isn't that makes that sense. Creepy? I didn't like that concept. I still don't like it. <laughs> I, I re- but I realized, you know. I realized after I got in this, uh, I, 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 okay, let me put it a different way. I've been the hero yeah, in life. The villain. I've been the villain. Yeah. I've been the yeah. follower. I've been the leader. Yeah. I've been Rich the poor. homeless person. I've been the everything, every race, creed, color, you know, boy, you, you know what? You let go of your prejudices. If you have the, if you, if you, if you have a life reviewer or that there's there, the, they just aren't there anymore when you come back. And the first thought I had, Alex, when I was looking around, when after I opened up my eyes in this beautiful field, and I just said to myself, this is not reality. No, no, this is the dream. Yeah. This is this is the dream. Um, and that's been said for thousands of years in different ancient mm-hmm. texts as well. Um, it's really interesting that you did not like the idea of past lives. Like for me, no. for me, I actually enjoy the idea of, of, of reincarnation and past lives because it's like, oh, I get to experience, because that's one thing I didn't understand from being raised Christian is like, oh, you just get the one mm-hmm. and it just happens to be potluck. Like I could only experience a woman yeah. being rich or a man being poor, or a black yeah. man in South Africa at the wrong time or or a black, a black yeah. woman in, in the South at the wrong time or wherever the prejudices yes. are or if you die early like if you die as a kid that's that's it like it just didn't make sense where the the concept of reincarnation that you have multiple players mm-hmm. to the game made a lot more sense to me and actually gives me comfort to understand that like oh i don't have to get it all right this time i have a set of things that i have to do in this life rather than just have to get it all in <laughs> Because this is the only time you're going to be here. So that's just my personal perspective on it. Well, I think you're uh, more healthy than I am. I, I just, <laughs> I don't like, I just don't like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I can't say I'm a big fan of how everything went while I was dead. <laughs> um, I make some jokes well, about it, but, um, you know, and I tried to tell the ER doctor, um, he asked me what drugs I'd taken and just treated me like garbage and it took me about 12 hours to calm down about well, I'm sure. Well, and let me I ask you that. Yeah. So let me ask you though, that what happened when, when you finally came out, you've been, obviously this is a heck of a, a, a traumatic experience physically, but yeah. then, and psychologically on the earth plane, but then now understanding this other knowledge that most don't have at a time where near-death experiences are not talked about like they are today. And these conversations were not happening in a public forum at all. How did you process it? How did you come? When did you come out of the closet, the NDE closet? And how did people- It was anguish. Yeah, and how did people around you deal with it? I anguished over this. 
what I did is like, you know, I tried to talk to the ER doctor and he shamed me and just insulted <laughs> me. My mom was a nurse there and she stood up for me and she said, my daughter's had a severe head injury. She stopped breathing. And he's, you know, he basically said, you know, uh, cry me a river. You know, she, she's saying she left her body. Come on, what drugs is she on? It was awful to me. So my wow. mom just picked me up and we left the hospital. And then she checked me for hours, every hour, you know, because to see if I had a brain bleeding. Uh, nowadays, they the doctors couldn't have, you know, they would just put me in the psych ward and been done with me. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anybody. I'm not going to tell my mom, hey, I just had a conversation with your dead father. Yeah, um, she would have lost it. And um, so I went to a therapist and tried to talk to a therapist, uh, I guess, yeah. about 10 days later. And she said, are we having a pity party about our broken nose? Um, what? Are you kidding? What? No, I'm not. I can tell you her name. This? She's still in practice. How um, a therapist is that? Yeah. Yeah. We had a real pity party. You know, don't worry. The doctor took his 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 hand and he pushed it back in. So I got a bump and nothing more. Um, she was horrible to me. So then I didn't talk about it for a long time. I finally opened up you know, like to my grandmother and when, when things started happening and, and, and I had experiences, I talked to my sister, told her everything, my mother, my grandmother, we all discussed it. We kept it private uh, within the family. And I didn't talk about it from it was 1979 at 19 years old. I didn't talk about it till I was 50. I was that much in the closet because I didn't want to be labeled a wackadoo. Right, right. Uh, and if I hadn't been having these constant dreams and, and paranormal occurrences, um, you know, that bothered me. I would have kept those things quiet, but I kept dreaming about these stories like that. I, these stories and with a paranormal flair. And then I just started writing fictional books and I just was able to get out all my experiences, put in, right. you know, the stuff I learned about my great grandmother having the gift and how she knew when people died before she got the letter and, and all these things that had run through my family on my grandmother's side. Mm -hmm. um, so if I hadn't written books, I still would be not talking about it. But I lived in a time where if you talked about such things, you were shame. You were thought mentally ill or just a plain big fat liar. Um, even today, sometimes I'll get some very negative comments. This was my near-death experience. This was my truth. Take it or leave it. I'm just sharing what happened to me because I had no one to listen to. If I had only heard one person recount it, I wouldn't have felt the anguish and the isolation for many years. Right. I mean, Raymond Moody's book came out, I think, in 76, and it wasn't mm -hmm. a runaway bestseller. By yeah, yeah. It's, that wasn't it wasn't it. Let's just say I, I, I interviewed him on my show a couple of years ago. What a brilliant man. Oh, he's wonderful. He is. He's yes. wonderful. Well, he's the one that coined the phrase near death experience yes. and started to started to bring it out into into the, the public eye. Right. And, and and what we try to do on the show is to open that up to people as well that might not be, might not know about it, but it's so much more. I mean, even now we, people think to go to the light, the tunnel, like it's part of the zeitgeist uh, of humanity yeah. now it, it, before those channeling and all that kind of stuff would never even been talked about sure. in the same way. So it's really yeah. uh, interesting. So you said you had some other paranormal things. What, what, what other after effects were there from the from it well they weren't pleasant at first they, they you know now it doesn't bother me it was very unpleasant um after um my near-death experience you know time went by and I had a friend that died that came to in my room one night and uh I saw when someone dies their point of consciousness sometimes looks like a mauve color um, ball or orb, what they call. And it, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. It's like liquid glass. It's, it's mm -hmm. transparent and then just gorgeous. And sometimes they glide into the room 
and um, wake you up. And I'd be hysterical. I called my sister and said, you know, basically said who died in the family. So that happened. And usually, you know, somebody had died and yeah. So that happened the first couple of times, you know, I got up, screamed, ran out of the room. After a while, it, it just didn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. So basically, I think that you bring back something. I don't know what the word is, but you bring back something. Not more, you have an understanding of the non-physical, but you bring back some very limited ability. Um, everybody's got a pinch of psychic. Nobody's got a full cup. I've always said that. And when I want it to happen, it never does. And when it does, it's random and it comes in, the message comes in sideways. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I've had different things like that happen um, over the years. Um, it was very hard to digest. Um, now I'm totally unfazed by it. It's not that I'm brave. I'm just numb to it. So I can go months or even a year without an, a paranormal occurrence. But when it does happen, it you know it's pretty pretty interesting. Sometimes insightful. Um, I was very sick one time and my grandfather came to me and he looked like he did when he was alive and came into my room, sat down beside me wearing a plaid flannel shirt like burgundy and gray with mm -hmm. gray trousers. I could make out every a definition. He put his hand over my stomach and said, your spleen and then he dissolved. And I was very sick at the time. So I went into the other room. I was staying at my mom's. I was very ill. And I'd gone to the hospital with concerns and was told I was okay. Just had an inflamed liver capsule, yada, yada, yada. Um, I didn't, I asked her, where's your spleen? I had no idea where in the body the spleen was. And I was concerned, but, you know, and then I heard it again. I woke up a couple of days later and I could hear spleen, spleen in my left ear in a feminine voice. So I got up like a rocket and I went to the doctors and I said, listen, this is going to sound B-A-T-S-H crazy. But if I don't get my spleen out, I believe I'm going to die. So I told the doctor the whole thing and he said, well, I'm going to write you a physician's order for a splenectomy. And he said, you know why? You're not the first person who's come in with something outlandish like that where it didn't turn out to be true. And if you're wrong, you're going to go through a miserable operation for nothing. They got in there, the surgeon took out the spleen that had hemorrhaged and was had a huge attached clot the size of a man's fist, hours or a day or two away from bleeding to death. <laughs> so remarkable. But after I had the surgery, it hurt so bad, Alex. It was so miserable. And I got double pneumonia. I didn't know if he did me a favor or not. It was that bad. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what do you think is the biggest takeaway you, you got from this near-death experience? Uh, the, the biggest gift. Okay, yes, of course, there's continuation of uh, existence after physical death. Yeah, we all know that. The best thing for me that was the icing on the cake was the fact that I'm going to see my grandfather again. I'm going to have a continued relationship with him and people that I really love. And I'm sure I won't have to see people I don't like in the next life. I will, the, the relationship and the love is still there. I know for a fact that there are consensus realities. That's what William Buhlman called. I, I didn't coin that term. William Buhlman coined that, um, that are very earth-like. People will think it's heaven. And there's like, let's say if you really want to live by the ocean, mm -hmm. there will be an ocean or a, a area for you to go to that's very lifelike and comfortable after you transition to be with loved ones. So in a way it is heaven. But I've lost the concept of heaven and hell. Sure, it, it sounds almost like when you do when you were explaining some of the things you were seeing on the other side, it sounded very much like the movie "What Dreams May Come," with Robin Williams, where he passes and creates 
his whole he's in actually his in his wife's creation it's a part of the story but he, he's like thinks something and it happens and i think it's a little bit more difficult than that i mean i don't think obviously now yeah and what i didn't like about the movie i really didn't like the, all that catholic guilt that was in that movie they dished it out by the oh space. no there's no there's, yeah. You could definitely pick and choose some stuff out of that yeah. movie, but just some certain concepts. They had the, they so had the right. They had the right idea when they were doing that, uh, but like I, I had a relative that killed himself, and there is no repercussions of that. It's sure. doing something in an anguished moment, but um, I think that you don't go right to these thought create well there's a lot more to it that i'm not a good explainer of sure um, i got you I there got is you. physical realities here it's very very dense and there's like a progression because i shot through it like a cannon to go to source mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's different layers um it's sort of like cruising the interstate that's the feeling i got like when I was flying or traveling there, I was going like on I-95, man, I'm going mm -hmm. down the interstate, how this works. And I was kind of shocked that I was going through layers um, of reality. There were inhabitants, there were people in there, there were souls in there. Hmm. And I also want to say something to animal lovers. Um, animals have souls. You know, mm -hmm. they have their own path. I don't know exactly how it works, but, you know, I saw uh, when my dog was dying, I saw her literally leave her body and be young again. And it was beautiful, tragic that I lost her, but beautiful that I was able to see it. I've had some extraordinary paranormal experiences. And the only thing I don't like about it is just I don't get to, I was, it's like getting clues, you know, 40 years of clues, how these things work, but I never get to stay in them long enough to get explanation. And they never, the, the same clue is never repeated. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like this like paranormal sleuth and, and if I die tomorrow and there is a, uh, a room that says lecture on heaven, the other one says heaven, I'm taking the lecture first because that's who I am. <laughs> I'm always trying to figure it out. That's amazing. Uh, Laura, I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. Uh, what is your definition of living a fulfilled life? That's a very good question because I've struggled with illness and autoimmune disease for 40 years. And, and I, I've really thought about that. But I think a fulfilled life is when you are living your best possible, like you're your best possible person. You know, you're kind to others. You're not taking your crap out on others. You're you're doing your best. You don't have to be a super saint, but you just got to be on a, a kinder path or a, a path that's a little bit more gentle. If you had a chance to get in a time machine and go back in time and speak to your younger self, what advice would you give her? Oh, <laughs> don't marry that guy. <laughs> You don't need cosmetic surgery. <laughs> no, I'm just, um, no, I, I would, if my younger self, I would cradle my younger self and tell her it's going to be okay. You're going to figure it out and not to feel so isolated because the anguish I had after my near-death experience and the fact that I let go of organized religion was a lot of anguish. I wish I could go back and cradle that younger self mm and guide her to stick up more for herself too. Yeah. Um, how do you define God or source? Our creator was created source, but I think source is a little different. My, my, I can only go from my experience. I was going to my original source, you know, that beautiful, uh, sea of love. But I think there's something beyond that. I think there's a creator that's organizing that. I felt the love of God or our creator, but not in an organized religious sense. Sure. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To learn, to love, 
and if you possibly can, to become aware of how things work. And where can people find out more about you and the work and your books and the things that you're doing? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, if you go to L-U-R-A-K-E-T-C-H dot com, com, there's uh, my books. And what I did was I started my books in 1979. And I have a character that had a near-death experience very much like mine. But it's not an autobiography. It's a it's it's set in the horse world. There is uh, uh, always a murder mystery. It's a paranormal romance. And basically, there's a tragedy that pulls in all these people from the hospital group of near-death experiencers. And they're trying to decipher this, these ghostly messages. So if you, you want to go back to 1979 and a time before the internet where there was where a man courted a girl that was a little bit more romantic and the paranormal wasn't on YouTube, um, it, I try to explain through the characters how things work. So 80% of the paranormal occurrences are very truthful. Then you've got 20% embellishment because it's a book and it's entertainment. But if you want to really figure out how things work, it's well explained through the book series, The Near-Death Saga. And Near-Death Connection is the first book. Very good. And do you have any parting messages for the audience? I want to thank them for listening. The horse is fine. The horse was never injured in the accident, just <laughs> I was. And, you know, people, if you've had a near-death experience, good gosh, you're not alone. And if you never have one, um, you can kind of, you know, listen to other people's recounts and Maybe you've got a clue when you, you know, do experience the, the next phase of our, you know, when you die. Um, it's not as scary if you have a little information, perhaps. Laura, thank you so much for this story, for your, for your testimony, for this conversation, and hopefully it will help people uh, around the world. So I appreciate you, my dear. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I want to thank Laura so much for coming on the show and sharing her story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 304. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.